ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Hey, Garen. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Leonard. Hey, I'm Leonard Duncan. I'm your host of ATV Talk. I got Garen Fuller here, former pro, uh, retired works racer. We're going to talk a little about uh, ATVs and uh, see how Garen's doing. So, how are things for Garen Fuller? I'm good. Um, not so much uh, ATV in my life anymore. More, uh, I got you know kids and married, and the uh, the action sports is definitely out of the picture now. <laughs> well, you know that kind of happens, but uh, yeah. you did have a pretty colorful career. career. You had a good time uh, racing ATVs for a number of years. Now I'm washed up. Well, you know, that's your word. It's not mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely, I can't even tell you when I started, but we did it for about 15 years or so. And um, amateur career was pretty, pretty awesome. Definitely a lot of accomplishments there. And then stepping up to the pros was a challenge, but definitely had some success there too. It's a lot of fun. When you were uh, when you were riding, uh, what was your preferred machine? Like brand and bike in general, uh, Honda TRX four fifty. But I also like the Yamaha a lot, just straight out of the box, ready to go. <clears throat> good machine, yeah. Both good machines, yeah. Both have pluses and minuses. But I only saw I my main bike was the Honda. I never really strayed away from it. It's just our whole family's been Honda, and it's kind of like. Ford guys, you know, it's like you're never gonna stray away from your Ford. It's right. the truck. Yeah. Yeah, I'm never gonna give up my Ford. Yeah. There's a little dig there. You got the diehard Chevy guys. <clears throat> That's how our family was with the Honda. Kind of never strayed away and they never did any anything bad to us. So where'd uh where'd you grow up? Ocon. Um the outskirts of Ocon and more towards the Alpine area. Um we moved out to Mexico for a little bit when I was younger and then came back when I was five, I believe. And we've been Alpine ever since. <clears throat> so yeah, I grew up in Alpine. Um, I'm, we're in La Mesa now, which is still kind of El Cajon-ish. Um, yeah, been here pretty much my whole life. Went to school at school here. Granite Hills High School. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yep. So when when uh, you were racing uh, there at the end, what uh, what what happened exactly to uh, get you to retire? Because it was kind of abrupt, if I remember. Yeah, um, I was just ready to kind of start a new chapter in my life. Um, I think I was twenty four. It was two thousand seventeen, right? Yeah, two thousand seventeen. So I was twenty four. Um, I was just re- I was ready to get married i was ready to start a career where there's no real future now anyway for you know atv racing in career wise money wise family wise to provide type you know it, the top guys like you know hetrick or you know those guys Bo, that you know they're able to make it work and do well and i just i 
didn't see myself really being able to do that. So I, I was just ready to have a career and I wanted to, I want to accomplish a lot more things. And I just, that was the right time to do it. My joints are starting to, we're starting to hurt. You know, I had knee reconstruction. My shoulders are starting to kill me. I was just, I don't want to be 50 in a wheelchair, you know? So. What do you mean by that? Uh, um, so a portion of it was physical exhaustion and maybe some mental exhaustion. I wasn't having fun anymore, really. Um, I just got burnt out. It became a job. Yeah. A stressful job rather than a, yeah. rather than a fun to go racing. Yeah. And then, I mean, the work series that we were focusing on, they, I just felt like, like Glen Helen, we were racing at Glen Helen. I felt like 12 times, you know, out of the season, uh, the works, they never really switched up any of the tracks. It was the same track every single season. And it wasn't like they were changing the layouts really. It was really just the same thing over and over. And I felt like it turned into just like a, a, a routine thing. I don't know. It just wasn't, it wasn't keeping me on my toes. Really. It wasn't competition was, don't get me wrong. That's the competition is what kept me going. Cause I love competition. It's just, I just felt like we were just going and going to the same track, going to the same venue. It's just, you know, it's just getting old after a while. Um, still a lot of fun, but when I was looking forward to after the race, just to hang out with everybody rather than lining up on the starting line, you know, that's when I knew it was time. Yeah, Cause I know you and I had some talks about building some machines to get ready for the next year. And, mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking one day, and then the next day it was it was over. Yeah, I. So that season you're talking about before when we got our first pro win and everything, I was 100 percent all in up until the round after I won my pro, my first pro <clears throat> win, and um, it's just after because we had that two month break and it just. I don't know. Something happened to where my routine got broken and it's just to get back into it. I couldn't get back into the group. You know what I mean? And, um, no issues with the bike, nothing. It's just, I, I don't know. I got into a little slump and Never just the rest of the season was just kind of, you know, let's get it over with and then we'll restart next season. But I just, this time I was like, if I'm not going to be able to do 110% for the entire season, when I see the money and see the investment that my, you, Duncan Racing, um, my parents, everybody praying into, they don't deserve that. And, you know, I was, I, I didn't want to just go to the races, just to go to the races. You know what I mean? So I matured a little bit and saw, you know, the effort that everybody else was putting into my program. And that wasn't giving them the effort back. Well, that's a that's a that's a good way to look at it. There's a lot of people that don't see all of the effort that everybody puts in and realize that hey, I have to put my effort in to to get back. Right. Some guys ride for seasons after season, only giving fifty percent or forty percent. Everybody else around them is just giving everything. Yeah, and it's not that when I rode. Don't get me wrong. I would definitely give my 100, 110% always. It's just as soon as the wind 
when I noticed the wind was taking out my sails, you know, halfway through the race and I wasn't like pushing to get the guy in front of me, I was just kind of, all right, he's in front of me and let's hurry up, bring out the checker. I don't want to go hang out, you know, have a couple beers and chill. Like I'm over it. That's when I knew I was just, that's not right. So what advice would you give some of the younger up and coming guys to help stem off burnout or uh, the lack of enthusiasm? How do you keep it fun? Uh, <clears throat> I was having most fun when I had my clique of friends that they all had the same drive and like Josh Rowe, um, <clears throat> We would go riding on the dunes and every time we would go riding, it was a competition every time. We didn't really realize it, but it was a race every single time we went out and just to ride around, you know what I mean? And um, just keep it fun. Um, And at the end of the day, it's not for 99% of the people out there. It's not a career. So don't treat it like it's a career. Treat it like it's fun and Try not. Isn't that hard when you when you line up on the on the pro line and you know four out of the five guys that are sitting next to you, they're doing it that they need that paycheck to keep racing the next race or the you know to pay a house payment or something like that. The only advice I could really give is just if you follow Bo Barron on Instagram or just follow him as much as you can and take notes of that guy because he's got fixed out. I mean that guy's singing you know, Def Leppard or whatever on the starting line right before it's about to, you know, about to drop. So, you know, there's, there's unusual people, you know, some of your champions are usually pretty calm and relaxed and yeah. focused. You know, I remember going to the line and having Doug's bike sitting there. Everybody's running. I got, got my hand up waiting for him at, at the starting line and he comes strolling up, jumps on his bike, drops it in gear and, the, and they drop the flag, you know, and, yeah. and, and he, 30 seconds ago was putting his gear on to come to the line. Right. <laughs> no stress. Yeah. I mean, everybody's different. Uh, Doug was kind of a rare species as well. You know, I, cause he's the one that I looked up to since I was little, you know, he was like the, he was famous, you know? <laughs> so. It, 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of contributing factors. I think that you have to keep it fun for everything, even though when you go to the starting line for the pros or when you get into the pro class, it's not about fun. It's about winning. It's about yeah. the, the, the racing for money. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe because you're no longer there for a trophy. You're right. there for a paycheck and you're there for your sponsors to be taken care of. So there's a lot of pressure, even if you are making it fun. There's still pressure. Yeah. When you put that weight on there and you put the, the grind of every season, unless you're prepared for that emotionally, yeah, you shouldn't do it. Right. No, you're right. The pro class definitely is a different ball game. And I learned that really quick. Um, I When I was in the pro-am, we would always, you know, check my lap times compared to the pro class. And in my head, I thought I was ready because my lap times were only 10 seconds off or whatever. You know, it wasn't that far off from say when the pro class was had 12 to 15 people, I was in the top eight, you know, as a pro am lap time wise. So I kind of had in my head, you know, I should do decent, you know? And then when I got to the pro class, just lining up on the line is a whole different you know, just looking at who 
the mental aspect of it's what is the hardest to overcome for sure. So I, I don't think that most racers realize that when you go from the C class to the B class, there's a mental transition. Yeah. From the B class to the A class, there's a mental transition. Yeah. From the A class to the pro-am line, there's a whole nother transition. And yeah. from the pro-am line to the pro line, that's where you see a lot of guys stop at the pro-am level because they, they're not mentally prepared to go the extra mile yeah. to get to the, the pro level. The human sacrifice that goes into racing I don't think a lot of people understand it. No, it, yeah, trust me. <laughs> um, I think my first race was, um, what was that track in Arizona, the mud race? Was that? Speed World? No, the uh, Peoria. Was it, yes. was it Peoria? That was the mudder, right? Yes. Yeah, I think I got, I, I didn't finish because of my knee or whatever, but um, that was a mud race and it was kind of an equalizer for everybody. And I mean, technically, not technically, but you would think everybody in mud like that would be kind of going the same speed for the most part. I was still getting smoked, you know what I mean? Just, but it wasn't because I wasn't as fast as them. It's just, I was more, oh my God, that's Dustin Nelson behind me. I, I should let him by, you know what I mean? I'm holding him up, you know, just the mental aspect of that. Not being prepared to be there yet. Yeah. Like he's a, in my head, he's supposed to be faster than me. And I'm used to him kind of coming around or Bo or Fredericks or whatever coming around and lapping me or whatever in my program. And I need to be pulling over because they're screaming at, you know, screaming at me or whatever. Instead, you, what you should have been thinking is, hey, find a way around. Like, this is, yeah. yeah. This is this is the new, I'm the new guy and you yeah. got to figure it out. Yeah. You know, when you're, I was a little worried about pissing anybody off at first, you know. And it took a little while to be like, no, you know, I don't really care. I'm not here to make friends, you know. Yeah, so that's the hard, that's another hard thing to try and get over. Especially when most of them are your buddies. You're all buddies. And then, you know, somehow you got to try and flip the switch. Flip the switch, yeah. And that's pretty hard to do as well. It got easier down the road because realistically the pro class was kind of dwindling a little bit. So, you know, the, when Honda had their contingency, they were paying out to like fifth or sixth. I mean, you go out there and kind of do a, a good race, get a little paycheck or whatever. But then when there was only six or seven people in the pro class, you had to get on the podium to get any paycheck. So that's when you started to see a little bit more rubbing. You know, you got a little more cutthroat. Yeah. And then, but I mean, I never had issues with anybody. A little bit with Collins, uh, Webster, a little bit, but it was a well, transition from the amateur, from ranks. the amateurs. Yeah. But as soon as, you know, as soon as the race was over, we, we'd be fine. But <laughs> I, Well, everybody's got, everybody's got their enemy, you know, for the, yeah. or, or their nemesis for the specific year or years. Right. I, mean, I you, you could look at it and, different flags for the different companies you know you're always fighting against somebody well you, you're only fighting with them when the green flag drops to the checkered flag right. after that you, you know we're over there you know they need something we need something we're, we're helping as many people as you can right. it doesn't matter who they ride for or what they do because we are one big fa- happy family and it, well maybe not happy but we're a family yeah and you have to help those people because 
you're going to need help at some point. So, it's politics still a little bit. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's a little bit of that in there. And then, you know, I mean, I really don't like that part of it. Yeah. It's there. You're never going to get away from it. Yeah. I mean, you deal with that more than I do. So. Well, I had to because I was the guy in the books doing the different portions of it. And, and that was kind of my job. I was supposed to keep that portion away from the guys so that they didn't have to deal with it. You know, I'd rather the darts be thrown at me than at you so that you can focus on racing. And I'm not out there going to hit that big double or that triple or hit those whoops at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. Just the guy that's going to be there holding the wrench if you need something when you come in. Yes, even with bikes that don't have your parts on it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to help everybody. I mean, I, I hated to see anybody yeah. miss a round or miss a race because something happened. Uh, you know, that's just my nature. Was it always like that? No, I mean, there were times when I was scolded by specific sponsors. You know, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I was even scolded by sponsors or people that I was helping. You know that weren't under weren't their my tent. Guys. Yeah, they weren't under my tent. I'm helping them. Their sponsors came up and said, "Why are you doing that? Guy? Why are you? Yeah. You're making us look bad by you doing that. We just want to get the guy in the starting line, or wanted yeah. to get him to the finish line. I'm just trying to help out. Sorry. Yeah, there's not millions of dollars at stake here. There's, you know. Yeah. So we're not. You know, we're not racing NASCAR. We're not racing F1. Yeah. We're racing ATVs in in tomorrow. That ATV race really kind of means nothing. You know, you, you have to get up in the morning and go to work and, and do your thing and, and be the best man that you can or best person that you can at the given time to be the best person you can. And that's what you're all striving for. Is yeah. trying to improve. I try to instill that in, in all the riders that I deal with. We have to grow here. It's not about you know, you can be the fastest guy in the world, but if you alienate everybody, I don't just want to. Right. And that's what I try to instill in you and your brother. You know, they go out there and do the best you can. And you guys helped out quite a few different people throughout the years. Sometimes when I would get there late, I couldn't be in a specific there. Your family was always there to, to fill in the blank, which, you know, I always appreciate. Yeah. And you guys have been family for... Before I was born with my dad or whatever, so well, my brother was your your dad's mechanic. Yeah, I helped your dad out at times in his career. At times raced with your dad a couple times at Carlsbad GP. Yeah, it's kind of funny how the little <clears throat> your guys' group of friends is still kind of together in a way. I mean, wasn't Josh and Greg just here the other day? I had Josh here. I haven't had I haven't had Greg on. Oh, Greg was that, <laughs> but Josh was here, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's we're all come from the same era, you know. And, and mm-hmm. Greg and I will sit down and have a conversation, talk some TVs. That's gonna be a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's gonna be fun. You know? I mean, there's always the stories that nobody gets to hear that that are the most important thing. Yeah, you know. Sure, you have a couple inside stories that. Uh, oh yeah, love to share. No, not share. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the ones that I want you to share, the ones that that you want people to hear. You know, right. Uh, but you know, one of the biggest setbacks in your career was ski. Uh, you and Josh Rowe were out there racing in practice. And yeah, we were riding like we were on a dune ride, like how we always have ridden, and we've always been comfortable that way. It's just a little competitive side of. 
came out and <laughs> I remember I think it was right before that round he was like uh, he made a comment to me because he used to not be very fast at motocross. He used to be afraid to jump. He used to be afraid. And um, <laughs> it was right before that round. He was made a comment saying, uh, it was like, how did, how does it feel knowing I'm faster than you at motocross now? Or, you know, just like, we are just bullshitting. And, <laughs> and so that was in my head. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to let this guy, you know, leave me. And so we were just, it turned to a race. I think it only, it was like a three lap what until we crashed or whatever. Um, but yeah, he took, he, yeah, he took an inside line. I took the outside line. It was kind of, I think we just slowly drifted together while we were in the air and I got the shit end of the stick on that one. Um, he just, I think he kind of bailed off the bike and I'm the one I got tackled by both of them. Um, I always say that he's better at crashing than me. So, well, I guess you gotta be better at something, right? Yeah. Well, he was, he was definitely, he was faster than me that day. I'll say it now. I wasn't going to say it then. It, it, it happens. He moved on to the pro class a year before you did. I think he years? was there like two years before I was. And you guys retired from the work series on the same season. I think he was the season before me. Or it, it was either the same season or he was the season before yeah because then he moved mostly to being a, a higher gun in the desert, mm-hmm. uh, desert yeah yeah that's that's his home turf right there <laughs> yeah, he's phenomenally fast in the desert yeah I mean, I mentioned anybody even some of the old greats you know yeah head to head yeah I don't think his dad in his dad's heyday could be him you know, oh, I know Greg couldn't beat him. Because the <laughs> the kids got just an amazing amount of drive. Yeah. I was very fortunate to be a part of his, his upbringing in racing, but I didn't get him until he already was already a seasoned pro yeah. on my machines. So I mean he dabbled with some of our stuff and some of our bikes, but, but until two thousand eighteen or end of seventeen when he stepped on one of my desert bikes mm-hmm. and helped raise the platform, you know, for the Simmons guys. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I've never seen anybody ride as fast as he has in the desert. And you would know more than I do. Cause I mean, you grew up in a different area where you saw Greg and all those guys out there. Who were the other top desert? It was, um, Wayne Matlock, Danny Prather, he was the guy that was down District 38 for a long time. That Steve Mamer. Mamer. It was Greg Rose, Nemesis. <laughs> you know, it's G- Dean Sundahl. Sundahl. Yeah, that guy. That was the other one, yeah. The guy still can go fast in the desert. Yeah. You know? I mean, you just, you, you watch these guys ride. This is one, one of the, you know, I always, I've always said it, I always will say it. Being a fan and getting to watch all the different guys ride. And you get to see these men that you really appreciate their skill level. And you get to see them do things that shouldn't be done on an ATV. Right. You know, from watching Nick Brunman launch that mesquite on that giant tabletop they used to have there 
and you're thinking, oh my God, why would you ever want to jump that high and that far? Mm. Uh, you know, to watching Josh Fredericks just pounded out, you know, every ounce of energy the guy had for, for a victory. You yeah, know, it was then, a lap down. That one, yeah, race. one race in the ski, yeah, I was yeah. talking the other day about it. And he came back and passed Dustin Nelson for timeline before the finish line. It was Dustin's race, it was over. You know? Yeah. When he got out front, he had a big enough gap, it was over. Yeah. You know, he was already drinking the champagne and holding the trophy up, and then Josh caught him and passed him. Yeah, I've heard stories about Josh, because I think Mesquite is his backyard for the most part. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, he knew. Yeah, he would pound out three-hour motos out there. Oh, yeah, the guy's just phenomenal. His nickname, the animal, he got that for a reason. Yeah. You know, because he's just ruthless. Yeah. You know, I watched the guy eat rocks for a number of years, chasing that. And never phased him. Never <laughs> lost focus. I saw a picture of him on the podium in like oh two. He was racing in 02, right? O two, oh three. It was oh three, oh four. He was on the podium. He was wearing jeans and uh, the chain wallet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, I just saw that and you know, it was just crazy to see how it changed from that era to when I got into it. Cause when I got into the work series. There were semis out there. There were, you know, if you weren't on the podium with your team shirt and all professional looking, you know, it's just, it was cool. It was funny to see that picture and how it changed in like 10 years. Yeah. Progress, progression. Yeah. Uh, I uh, got to get on my first podium in pro class in Vesna Desert. And to get on that podium, I had to beat Josh Redbridge to the place. Did he have issues? No, well, I did. I got stuck in the in a uh, uh, rock turn. Uh, one of the switchbacks they had in there, and, and uh, I just made a mistake knowing he was behind me, and I had to get off my bike and move it to get through there. And he's screaming at me. Oh and yeah. As, and as we came out of there, uh, he went one way and I went another way, and we came together right before the finish, and I just happened to be <laughs> he was disgust on, the disgust on his face when we took our helmets off. You know, this fat guy on a 660 Raptor beating the finish line. Yeah. Uh, it was it, it was memorable for me because it was my first podium. Yeah. And then to, to beat Josh Redders right. to the finish line was, was even <laughs> a bigger deal for me. Yeah. He was, he's also known for yelling at people because it, it was just, because he would come up behind me when I was in the A class, you know. The, past me or whatever and he was Washington I would we were stressing knowing that they would you know he would eventually be coming around to pass us that he would yell loud way over the you know the sound of his bike and he was kind of a soft tone person not in the pits yeah, in the pits, yeah. so uh, yeah like Washington where there's nowhere to pull over you're just stressing the whole race like okay it's gonna be this lap he's gonna come up behind me and you wouldn't know until you just hear him yelling <laughs> you just take a different line. Yeah, or just pull over and get stuck in the bushes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to experience too much of that, other than off my bike. And then when I moved it, I set the tire on my foot and I fell down. And mm. You could just see him. Just you know, if he could have drove over me, he would have. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the fun things like that you get to remember. I've had. I've had amazing. Stories from I could go on and on, but 
this isn't about me. This is, this is about Aaron Fuller. My favorite story about you at my races was, remember when we were having the radiator problems with the cap? Yeah. And I pulled into the pit like an hour into the pro main. <laughs> And you tried taking, or you just barely, you barely cracked the top of the cap, or were you planning on taking it off? I was trying to get fluid in it so that you could finish. Yeah, and uh, I think I did. You got it in there, yeah. Yeah, I got, I got cooling in it so that you could finish. Um, I had blisters. Yeah. Uh, your whole hand was a blister. Yeah, well, that's the price you got to pay when you're stupid. I just, I remember it burning through my leathers, and you had a t-shirt and shorts on. You were showering in that stuff, and that was the liquid-based stuff. Yeah, I mean the uh, oil-based stuff. Yeah, I mean it happens. What are you going to do? You have to get that bike to the finish line, so you have to make those sacrifices. Yeah. Your dad shook his head at me, you know, and, and I stuck my hand in the cooler after you rode away, and that helped quite a bit. Mm-hmm. In a couple of days, it was fine. I can't remember how we finished that race, but I'm pretty sure we still got on the podium. I think you got on the podium. Yeah, it was the same weekend it snowed. Oh yeah, from hot to cold, went from cold to hot, right? In in just one day. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of those nuances and things that people don't remember. You know. Yeah. And also, the some of the best memories were traveling with Josh when we would drive, you know, up to Washington or whatever, and you would, you know, meet us up there, and we'd go out to dinner. And this was when you were kind of. You're a little grumpier. You're a lot happier now nowadays. But Josh and I would always tell the waitress to come. It was your birthday. Yeah. Every time we would go out. So at the end of dinner, um, the lady would bring you a birthday cake and sing you happy birthday, and you would just be beat red, pissed. <laughs> well, yeah, because after it happens two or three times, you just almost don't want to go out to dinner with you guys. Uh, yeah. But growing up with, you know being uh, an adult figure in your life seeing you when you were little mm. to now seeing you here with your son it's quite a, an accomplishment for me to be not only now I'm your friend instead of somebody that was helping direct your career right you and your brother right it's just it, it's a total different perspective you know I mean I have six grandkids yeah that's your dad's first grandchild in there. Yeah. So there, there's a lot to this. I get to see the growth from from so many different in, in the industry. Right. That's some amazing friendships. But over the years, it felt like you know each year going by was kind of like I don't know. It didn't move as fast as it does now. It just seems like now looking back, it's like, okay, we raced quads and boom, married kid, you know, it just went so quick. But at the time it was kind of like dragging out, not dragging out. That's kind of a bad word to use, but it just seemed a lot slower paced than now that's said and done. And looking back, it was, it went by really fast. Are you, you know? going to have Riker drive? Yeah. I mean... I already know he he could do whatever he wants, but I still watch, um, you know, on YouTube. I'll, I watch all the Supercross stuff. I, I'm still a huge fan of the sport, and whenever it's on, he is attached to the TV already. So I, I know that's you know we're gonna be going to the desert, so he's gonna get a little quad or I just 
I wouldn't mind him being in a cage, like a roll cage. Hopefully, but whatever he wants to do. They make small cage UTVs. Yeah, he'll get the little one seventy players thing, and we'll see where it goes from there. I'm hoping I would I would like to be a baseball dad or something like that. You know, switch it up a little bit. Come on, don't be a baseball dad. Not like break that, the mold, man. man. Break the mold. <laughs> you know, your dad was uh, your dad was good at certain portions of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't get real aggressive. Didn't get real angry. Uh, you know, Craig Simmons. Dad of Aaron and Andrew. Yeah, he was pretty good about the things that happened when there was injuries or when there was failures. He was pretty calm about most of it. Mm-hmm. I really liked that portion about dealing with Greg. He was he was always easy, easy, easier going if there was a problem than sometimes when there wasn't a problem. Yeah, you know, I know that we had a uh, we were racing in Caliente. And on the first stretch, Mike Sloan was on the bike, and we had to pass that four-wheel drive Polaris in the beginning. He got by him, but it cost. Mm-hmm. The cost was a hole in the radiator, and it was up underneath the hood. Oh, and I was on the guy's rear end. Oh. Yeah, and I was on the wrong side of the bike. I didn't see the coolant. Andrew saw it and said, what about that coolant as the bike drives off? So the, there's nothing we can do. He's gone. Sloan. It's it was like Sloan. It was 26 degrees. It was super cold. We ran a dual fan set up. We let fans always suck it. Um, when it got to the third pit, Andrew got on the bike and went up and miles. And okay. Just cooked by the bike. Yeah, just cooked right off the bike. And um, the fender was melting. The fan was melting. But the bike was still running strong, mm-hmm. and Andrew rode it 41 miles to the next pit, and we put another header on it and finished the race. And it was starting to run a little funny at the end of the race. Lose a little power. Uh, lost a little power, but we made up time. Yeah, we made up time on it, and it was it was it was a great ride. I mean, we did great. Andrew couldn't talk after this because he couldn't hear. But oh yeah, that was so obnoxious. <laughs> but so obnoxious. We see this big dust cloud. And you see this the Kawasaki rolling down the trail, and it's just making this horrific noise. Mm-hmm. And it was our bike in the dust coming up behind him, you know, that was making the noise. It was completely broken off. The header was gone. Yeah. I took I took the tools and the header out and took the broken flange off, slid a new header and bolted it on, and uh, first kick fired right up. Honda. Yeah, Honda. <laughs> you know, with no coolant in it. No coolant. Yeah. It had an air coolant in it for 150 miles. And it finished. It didn't, didn't damage the piston. didn't seize. Didn't, didn't do any damage at all. Really. Put a new radiator in it. See, if that was Fresh my bike, it would have freaking blown up. It melted it. Melted yeah. it, yeah. Well, you had that view of that. Yeah. Oil caps melting into the, into the engine. That was the mud races at Speed Roll, because that mud would just cake on the bike. It would add like another 70, 80 pounds to the bike once you got done. Yeah. So they would just, the water trucks would torture the track. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate water trucks, but I don't, yeah. I don't like all the dust either, but the dust is easier to deal with. Better than mud. Yeah. Especially there. You probably wouldn't have liked racing GNCC. Yeah. I would have liked, no. 
No, I would like to try one though before selling. Like we talked before, I wish we did that Daytona one or the Florida one. Is that Gainesville or something like that? It was a week later. I just don't remember how or what town it was in or what round it was. Well, it was the first round and it was a week after we were there. Yeah, and that's the sand track, I believe. The right. sand course. Yeah, that would have been fun. So when you got to go to back to Daytona, what did you think? Oh, it, I mean, it's Daytona, first of all, but um, it was cool. I mean, it was a whole different. I've never been anywhere past Texas, so, you know, it's a whole different feel out there. The humidity is crazy. Um, but no, those tracks actually, like that practice track we went to, I can't remember the name of it, but that style track suits my riding style, just sand. You know, um, I loved it and the humidity did kind of suck, but I mean, it, it wasn't bad. It was kind of easy to get used to. I mean, here we train and, you know, in the summer it gets up to hundred over a hundred. It's just the humidity is a lot different. It's 80 and it feels hotter than it is here, you know? Um, but the course, the Daytona Supercross course was kind of one line no opportunities to pass. You had to force the issue. Um, that's the only thing I was kind of disappointed in, but the entire experience, the entire just being able to ride in Daytona was badass. Well, you're doing pretty good, too, correct? Yeah, and the start screwed me. The qualifier was fun. That was fine. Um, yeah, the, the main just, I can't remember what happened in the start. I think it was kind of like an S-turn start. It, yeah, it was a long straight to a, a left and straight into a right. And I think we got clogged up in the second turn or whatever it was. Yeah, pinched off. I had to get out the bike and get going. And I caught back up to like sixth, I believe. And I was catching the lead pack, but I was doing the rhythm section that they weren't. Um, it was like a triple, double, double or whatever it was. That's where you cracked. Yeah, so I got I got it down for three laps, and then the fourth lap, I remember when I was doing the section, there was a pothole growing because the people, the guys in front of me weren't, I think most of the people weren't doing that section just because it was sketchy. Um, I remember before the race, you told me if we were behind, uh, you were okay with me stretching the issue or, uh, you know, doing, kind of getting a little stupid to try and catch. Well, yeah, you know. Make a show, go out there and race. Yeah, so uh, I just remember after <clears throat> the lap before I crashed, there was a pothole forming, and the lip for the double after the triple was almost gone. So in my head, I was gonna, you know, move a little bit left and just slowly start going to the left, and I landed right in the pothole and then just ended up over the bars. Um, but it it was a lot more than just over the bars; it was actually kind of gnarly, but. It um, broke your visor, knocked your loopy for a little while. Yeah, but that that was kind of disappointing. I I was there to win. I thought for sure. I I felt like I I was gonna build it at least podium on that race easily. Um, I was just comfortable being out there for the whole week and riding every single day. And how bike was amazing. I like I was very confident with our entire program and everything. So, um. It was disappointment. I got back to the van. We it took you. Bike. We built that bike 
for the for uh, Daytona. Yeah, just for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. Yeah, Doug Roll had special uh, suspension made for me. I had special arms, lightweight arms, everything. I mean, it was a badass bike, and it worked really good. That's the bike your brother now has. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I I ended up with a piece of, a couple pieces of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta keep those kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, I know. No, there there's a lot of cool parts in the bike that you probably can't find anywhere else. I think Doug only made a few of those lightweight arms. I think those arms went back to Doug. Yeah. And it gave you a set of regular ones. Probably. Because uh he didn't want to have a problem. Yeah. And he knew he knew that there would be an issue. Yeah, especially, you know, they're, they're probably a two or three race type deal, you know. Right. But, yeah. I miss seeing Doug, too. I miss going up to, you know, pick up my shocks and just bullshit with him for an hour or two. Doug Rose is a smart dude, man. And he's yeah. always got insight on a lot of different things. If you get him to talk, you're going to learn something. Yeah. He wears the same outfit since the day I met him. It's, you know, the unbuttoned uh, t-shirt with the or the unbuttoned shirt with the white t-shirt underneath yep. jeans <laughs> Mr. Incognito yeah I mean seeing him at the track you wouldn't even know that he was who he is you know what I mean he just looks like a dude that's just hanging out the track <laughs> uh, most people don't even have any idea how smart he is and, yeah. and the things that he can do I remember it was off the beaten path when in 2004 when the 450R came out mm-hmm. We're sitting inside the trailer, the Duncan trailer at uh, Glen Helen, when they had the uh, second round of the GNC there. Mm. And uh, there's GNC we, like the motocross, motocross, motocross series. And we didn't uh, we didn't have our machine very long, but we'd already known that there was a leverage ratio problem in the link. And Martin from Elka and Doug are sitting in there trying to figure it out. And Doug's calc- do running the calculations in his head, and Martin's using it calculator and Doug's coming up with the answers faster than Martin is and uh, it was awesome to, to, I mean I didn't understand what they talked about until yeah I had an idea once you once they drew the stick figures on the on the chalkboard I, I totally got it but well they're running the numbers in their head the spring rates and all that thing. they were changing suspension uh, and, and springs and valving on uh, Eichner's bike uh, the whole weekend to try yeah. to get the rear end to work better and then uh Year or so later, they came up with a link to, to solve the problem. The, the guys, hey, Doug, uh, Elka came out. Uh, Doug may have helped him come up with it, but yeah. Elka came out with a link for the 0405 and the 06. That's what we end up using mostly, right? 0405, yep, link and 0405 spins and 0405 rear link. Yeah, 0405 swing arm or an aftermarket swing arm that was much longer. That was a game changer for me. Was just going to the 0405 rear end. No front end. Was it the front end or rear end that helped turn? No, the uh, spindles. The spindles the helped spindles. turn. But the, the and then the end. swing arm was shorter, I believe. Yeah, and then when you go to the when you go to the aftermarket swing arm and make it longer, it wouldn't push so much. Right. So you your whole package developed and you enjoyed it more because it's easier to ride. Yeah, turning wise, everything. Your brother was the hard one to get any information out of. He, he just, just rides it. Yeah, he just rode whatever you put underneath you. Yeah. Didn't care. You could, you could change the shocks out, put rebar, and he would 
right in, not even saying anything. You know I, mean? I don't think he was that bad. Come it, on. No, it's a figure of speech, but that's kind of how he was, though, right? Well, he's a big, strong kid, too. Yeah, he would just muscle the thing. You're finesse and he's brute. Yeah. You know? I broke a lot of stuff that you'd never seen before, too. You were hard on your shoes. Yeah. Yes, we broke frames that don't break. You broke yeah. frames in places that don't break. I remember, remember the swing arm I broke in half that you took over to Doug Rolls to get adjusted, and Doug's like, "Why are you riding this? The swing arm's broken half." <laughs> yeah, and it was it was Doug's swing arm. Like, how did this thing break? You know <laughs> exactly. But it, it it had a few seasons on it. I just I don't. I have that swing arm. Yeah, the black one, right? I have. Yeah. I'm. Does he still make swing arms? No. For the yeah, we always got Walsh, right? After uh, there's a couple different brands that he uses. He uses yeah, Walsh stuff. He uses some uh, JD stuff. Yeah, because I think Doug actually ordered me a swing arm, and I think he got it from Walsh. <clears throat> I have that too. Yeah, you got all my stuff, man. <laughs> well, you know, I'm refurbishing your old machines to sell. I'm down to the last three. Yeah, uh, I have one that's already completed hundred percent. Make a great new bike for somebody or an intricate cross bike, and then have Dover red bike and I've seen photos of it. Oh yeah, that it'll be a, it, it's gonna be beautiful. Yep, that's gonna be that should be a magazine bike. I don't know if it'll be a magazine bike. It's, it, it's definitely a race bike. Yeah. So if you were gonna go back and give some advice to the young guys, I asked this question earlier. I don't think we answered it. What would be your advice that you would pass on to some of these entry level amateur guys in the A class, B class, getting ready to transition into the higher level? What would be the the biggest portion of the advice that you would give to? I don't let it get to your head. Um, like I was saying earlier, um, if you're worried about, because a lot a lot of the A class kids that. They're, they've obviously been in the sport a while and they know who the top guys are and they're probably kind of like not celebrities, but I mean, they're kind of, they're up there in their mind, you know, uh, when you're in the pro class, don't let that get to you. You're are now one of them and just ride. Um, but don't jump to the pro class just to say you're in the pro class too. Um, if I should have stayed pro-am for another season, and hopped up to the pro class after probably we probably would have won another championship and um yeah it just when you think you're ready you're probably not but um don't let the mental aspect get to it um keep it try and keep it fun as much as you can that's that's great advice i mean you have to make sure it's fun you have to make sure that you have a good time Mm -hmm. you don't want to uh if you're stressing yourself to get there, stressing yourself to get to the line, you need to change your program. Yeah. What were uh, what were some of your training aspects? What did you do to train? Uh, we went out bike every other day. Um, we had like a 15, 20 mile loop that we would do. When you say we? Uh, I would mostly mountain bike with Josh Rowe, um, a little bit with Tyler Wood. Dustin Nelson, Greg, Rowe, my brother. Um, I think you and I went a couple times, but my routine was mostly with them. 
Um, there's a trail called Anderson truck trail that Greg lives right down the street from. We would just park at his house and then ride to the trail. Then I think it ended up being, I know it was like 15 to 20 miles, but it was all a grind the entire thing. Um, we would do that. Then, you know, coach PJs, which is kind of like a, the only way I could, it's like a boot camp type thing. Um, I would do CrossFit every day. I was doing something. Um, I would typically do a morning workout and afternoon workout and I would try and incorporate some riding. And with that, I would ride, I would try to ride three times a week. Um, depending on what type of training we're doing, if I was going to be riding a rough horse like McCain's, I would try and do that. I would try and do that like once a week just because it was so hard on the bike. I mean, those whoops are like wasty. <laughs> so, um, and that's how our frames would always break. Just, you know, pounding sand whoops all day. Um, we would go to milestone every Tuesday and just get our motocross training in. I mean, it, it was a, it was a, a, it was training definitely six days out of the week. Um, but just switching it up is what, um, kept it fun. When I started to get burned out was when I was trying to ride McCain's two, three times a week just the same thing and it just turned into like a monotonous. Yeah, you know, it just gets old. Same course, the same you just know every single square inch of that course. It's well that breaks up that makes it not uh, as you're not learning as much either because you know you're knowing how to, to cheat. Because exactly. you know the you know I can move to the left and miss the bump. Yeah. Instead of moving to the right and making it harder on myself, yeah, uh, I'm going to the right. I'm going to the right. You know. Yeah. And when easy line, easy line, easy line. Yeah. And when Finn was our our friend Anthony, we always call him Finn. That's his last name. But when towards the end, when he was working or working with me, I was pretty good at knowing when I was cheating myself or you know when I needed to change stuff up. So. <clears throat> But McCain's for me was the best training because it was the closest, roughest course for to get your endurance training in. I started to ask Finn to not sit at the truck and give me the pit board because you can only see like 10% of the course. I started telling him, walk the course, the entire thing. So you could see me the entire time and know if I was, you know, cheating or whatever. So I, I started I started to notice my like I said, cheating myself or whatever. So that was my way of trying to, and he would, he, he noticed a couple of times, but it, just knowing that somebody was like, when you went up to our track at my grandma's and you made me pound out a 50 minute motor or whatever it was, right? you were walking the course and that's what made me not quit. You quit. Yeah. It just, that the mental aspect of that, you know, just knowing I, that's where the competitive part or whatever it is, it's just, you don't want somebody seeing you quit, you know? I think that's a big advantage that the motorcycle guys have if they have enough money in their sport so that that guy, that trainer, you know, I would never consider myself a trainer, but the, the mechanic yeah. uh, or the guy that's, whoever, whatever you want to call him, is there helping you and going through the drills, teaching you how to turn better. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he's not the one teaching you, but he's giving you a, a an obstacle or giving you some direction of 
how you can get through the corner faster because he's watching it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And, and you build a, a stronger, better relationship. I've always would have loved to have had that where I didn't have to go to my regular job. I could go train. I could go spend time. You know, Doug and I, when I was Doug, I could mechanic. We raced so often. We didn't go train together, but we were, you know, four or five, six weekends in a row at a different place somewhere in the country racing. So we were always together. We were always riding. That, uh, you know, believe it or not, Doug and I didn't talk a lot. We talk more now uh, as friends than we ever did when we were in the truck going to the race. Never do that. Yeah. I mean, I think we said two sentences to each other when we drove to New York. (laughs) We flew to Nashville and then drove to New York. And, uh, I don't think we talked that much. We talked more afterwards because he was pissed at me yeah. and I made a mistake. But um, he, we just knew, you know, he could he could come in and just his mannerisms would tell me what he didn't like. Right. And I would make an adjustment and he'd come back and he'd be a totally different guy. Mm-hmm. Usually when you get to read somebody that well because you can tell that they're not happy with this or that, uh, that's an invaluable thing. You For just, sure, yeah. You just learn it. You know, you and Finn started to have a relationship like that before you uh, ended up retiring. Yeah, and it's well, it's also hard to mix um, friendship. Friendships, yeah. You have to have some professionalism in there, and sometimes that makes it kind of stepping on toes a little bit. Sometimes, you know, when uh, it gets a little testy, I guess. Well, you and you expect your guy to you expect that mechanic, or you expect that guy that's helping you to to aspire to your level. Right. If he doesn't, you know, or if you're not doing it and he is, it, yeah, it's going to go both ways. Yeah. You know, Doug and I worked really well. You know, we never had, you know, we had a couple of incidents where we had mistakes made on both sides. You know? mm-hmm. And I never, I never yelled at him for crashing and getting hurt. You know, I just picked him up and took care of him. And, right. and he never yelled at me. Uh, he yelled at me one time, you know, one time. And, uh, I probably deserved it. But you, know, you get complacent or you think that you know and you have an issue with something and I left a part on a bike too long and uh, it cost him a victory. He ended up getting second but it cost him the victory because the counter shaft sprocket came off at the finish line and wedged. So the bolt? The bolt came out, the sprocket popped off and it wedged and he got it loose. As he got it loose and started rolling into the finish line, Josh was like, fast. Seconds, fifteen seconds, but still, was that the star of the rise of Josh Ryder right there? No, was that his first win? No, oh. I mean Josh would pop off the window and he just being in a, just the right spot, being the, right the guy spot. that day. You know, yeah, as, as good as Doug was, he wasn't on every. Yeah, as tough as Josh was, you knew that he was gonna, he was going to beat you eventually because if he got out front, he was hard for Doug to pass. Right. We were at uh, we were in Washington recently. A place, but it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful place to be green. I mean, dirt was good. Like Stradline or something? Uh, no, it wasn't Stradline. But it was, it was one of those out in the middle of, you would never, it was like a campground. Oh. You know, and, and they had a race course out there. It was Josh's day. Mm-hmm. Doug got out front. When Josh got to him, uh, they they touched and it threw Josh on the ground. Doug said he stopped and knew that he was wrong. They both 
you know, did the courtesy wave. They were so far out in front of everybody else, they could have, yeah. I mean, they could have got out and shook hands and hung out, you know, and talked a little bit and then kept going. Mm-hmm. They were just gone that day. And uh, it took a couple more laps, and Josh would be back in. I asked him, but I said, hey, I gave him everything I had. It was his day. Yeah. He was better. Yeah, I, I never saw Doug get beat. Well, it happens to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You're only going to be on the top of the You're only going to be on the top of the box so long before somebody comes out and takes you Yeah. You know, the boat. Those rains coming to an end. You know, Don't say that, man. Well, it's going to happen. He's 38 years old. You know, the, the, the great thing is, is Doug was winning championships when he was in his 40s. Yeah, well, there's, how old was he when he retired? Uh, I think 46. I don't think he, he, he didn't retire. He didn't retire because he wanted to retire. He retired because he had to. Yeah. There were some personal things right. in his life, not for me to talk about, um, that, that caused him to, to have to go that direction because the stress levels that he was under, there were some mistakes made with his, his big crew and caused him to get injured. Think he would have been the pro class till he was over fifty, being competitive. Um, yes, I do. Yes, I do. He would have forced himself to adapt. Yeah, you know, and he might not have been at. I mean, he might have been on the podium occasionally, but he would have made the young guys earn it. Yeah. You know, you just go ride with him in the desert. Oh yeah, yeah. We rode together a lot. He. Um, Right after you retired, you before the personal stuff started happening, or kind of while it was happening, but before it got bad, uh, he was trying to be my trainer. He was showing me he would meet me up at Golden Acorn twice a week, and he taught me a lot. Uh, yeah, that was I think I that was still the like training methods. Follow me. No, he. Yeah, he I'm no, not gonna do that. No, he would stand. <clears throat> he would stand around the track and tell me, you know, watch me and just tell me what I was doing wrong or what I could be doing better. Uh, a lot of it was just the, uh, the, the, uh, approach of the turns, uh, the transition out of the turns, uh, body placement, uh, just all that type of stuff, which actually, uh, kind of turned my writing around when I, I mean, I really didn't even know that the stuff that he taught me, I didn't even know existed. You know what I mean? Like, it was just a whole nother thing, just to, which I, it obviously it comes from, he's been doing it a long time. So, well, you got to figure when he was a young man in his 20s, he was breaking into racing. In yeah. his 30s, he was learning his craft. And then he got fast. I mean, he got to, he was fast, don't get me wrong, you know. But he didn't get super fast until he got older. That's when he really started to shine. Right. You look at you look at most guys in the ATP world, they don't start getting fast until their early thirties. Yeah. Man strength. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are exceptions to the rule to the rule. Yeah. You know, I mean, Mike Sloan's coming. Yeah. He's already won one title and he's knocking on the door again. So Bo knows he's there. Joel Hedger, look at that guy. He's yeah. young, strong, meetings older, smart, mm-hmm. you know, capitalizes on any mistakes that are made by anybody else. 
Right. And if they make a mistake and, and he doesn't, he's going to beat them. So the age is is a thing that age and wisdom, you young guys always don't take that into consideration when you jump into that den of wolves. All right. <laughs> you know, that old wolf was pretty crafty. You better watch out. Oh, stop. <laughs> Just remember the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> on the back of the shirt, right? That's what's on the shirt. <laughs> well, Garen, it was wonderful having you uh, come by and sit down and talk with me today. Uh, I hope that you'll come back and, and, and join us maybe at a round table or maybe uh, get you here with you and your dad and your brother and have a, have a discussion. You guys can tell us some of the family fights that you guys got into. Oh, yeah, that'll be good. <laughs> Thanks again for joining me here at ATV Talk. I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Um, keep listening. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great one. See you guys. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.